Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Good to be with you. Good to see all of your faces. God is good. And all the time. Amen. The songwriter said he's never lost a battle. That's supposed to get you excited. That no matter what you're going through, whatever your battle, your struggle is, Jesus said to cast your care on him. He says he will fight your battle. And so if he will fight your battle and he's never lost a battle, you never lost a battle. <laughs> the biggest the biggest thing with that, though, is you have to turn it over to him and not hold on to the battles that you have. And if we will turn it all over to him and let him have his way and do what he does, then we won't have a thing to worry about. Amen. I know this flesh will sometimes get in the way and cause us to worry. But the Prince of Peace, if we let him have his way, he'll keep peace in our heart while we turn things over to him. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Brother Cuby, good to see you on a Thursday night. Amen. Brother Cuby in the house on a Thursday night. Sister Kellerman, good to see you. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, time to go before the Lord in prayer. We've got some great thing before us tonight. Get into the word of God and just let God instruct us and help us tonight. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight. Ask him to direct us. You know, sometimes you have to be very, it doesn't make sense not to be transparent and authentic with God. You don't have to pray any rosy, fancy prayer with God because he already knows what's going on. And so the best thing to do when you go before him is to be as transparent as possible and to be as authentic as possible so the Lord can hear your heart and respond to your petitions and your requests. So tonight we want to go before the Lord. You know, sometimes, and I believe that God's going to help us in this area tonight, sometimes there are things that have us bound, have control in our life in a negative way. And we won't admit to them. We keep it to ourselves and, you know, might even say, well, I'm praying about it. And there's a lot of different things that's going on within your spirit about the situation. But nonetheless, the the bottom line is there are things sometimes in our life that's holding us captive and we can't seem to get free from it. We might even come to church service sometimes and get to experience the presence of God and leave and say, man, that felt good. But that situation still have you bound. And so I believe that tonight God can set some people free on a Thursday night. I, I believe God can make you free from whatever have you bound, whatever caused you to struggle, whatever caused you to be like a roller coaster. One minute you're up, next minute you're down. I believe if you will just allow the Lord to operate in your life tonight, you can be totally free 
from the things that have you bound. So let's pray about those things tonight and ask God to have his way. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so grateful. We welcome you, Lord God, into our life, into the midst of this congregation, our Bible study tonight. We humble ourselves before you, Lord Jesus, for we are your children. We are called by your name. We've been blood-bought. We've been washed by the, oh God, the washing of the word. We've been cleansed and sanctified. But, oh God, we humble ourselves before you tonight because, Lord, there are things in our heart and there's things in our life, Lord, that we are still challenged with. There, there are things, Lord God, that we still need to get the victory over. And so tonight, Lord, we're here to take another step toward glory. We're here to take another step toward deliverance. We're here to take another step, Lord God, oh, Father, to restoration. Father, hear our cry, hear our heart tonight as we come call on your name to say, Lord, set us free from whatever have us bound. Set us free from whatever have us captive. Set us free, Lord God, from whatever, Lord Jesus, that has gotten the best of us. For, Lord, we want you to have free reign in our life. We want you to rule and we want you to have the preeminence. Nothing else should have the preeminence over our life. Nothing else should get the best of us, Lord. It is you and you only, Lord, that we want to have total control over our life, Lord. Tonight we surrender. Tonight we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, whatever your will for us individually, whatever your will for us collectively, let it be so, O oh God, that we will walk out of this place tonight differently, free, liberated, Lord God, and totally, oh God, be victorious. Jesus, I pray that you will speak to every heart, that you will speak to every individual in this house tonight, Lord. Oh God, anoint me and use me as your oracle. Place me in the flow of your spirit to rightly divide your word of truth. I pray, Lord God, that there will be a work of the Spirit in this house tonight, that the gifts of the Spirit will operate in this house, Lord God, and that salvation will come to us. Deliverance and restoration will come to us. Oh, God, bless us tonight. Oh, God, help us tonight, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, heal us tonight, Almighty God. Oh, God, make us one in you tonight, Lord God, that we will not leave this place, oh God, without you working in us. We need you, Lord. Reveal the mysteries of the scriptures, Lord God. Reveal what we need to know tonight, Lord God, that truly we will be changed. That truly, oh God, we will have, oh God, what we need, what we have shown up here tonight, Lord God, to receive. But God, before we go, we just don't want to be hearers. We just don't want to receive, but we will give also to you. We will give you our worship. We will give you our praise. We will adore and magnify your name, Lord God. We will praise you, Lord God. We will exalt your name, Lord God. The Lord is good. His mercy everlasting and his truth endure it to all generations. I will bless the Lord at all times. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. We magnify your name. 
You're great. You're mighty, oh God. And besides you, there is no other Savior. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Why don't somebody go ahead and praise the Lord tonight? Why don't somebody go ahead and give him honor tonight and bless his name? The Lord is good. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying along with us tonight. Amen. I want to tell you tonight that I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for this church. Thankful for those that allow God to direct them through the leadership of this church. Appreciate you and just appreciate serving alongside with you. And I thank God for you. Thank you. You've been wonderful. And um, I have no reason to believe that you won't continue to be great in serving the Lord and following his will for your life. Amen. I told you last week that we're going to get into um, talk about forgiveness a little bit. And um, we're going to talk about forgiveness a lot. And forgiveness is, is so powerful, you know. When I, when, I, when I talk about forgiveness, it's easy that the first thing that your mind go toward is, oh, I didn't do anybody anything wrong, so, you know. And so that's the first thing we start thinking, I'm good. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I, I'm good. I don't hold nothing against anybody. It's so much more than that. It, it's so much more than that. It, it's a whole lot that you can learn from this lesson that we're going to teach because um, I, I would probably even say this, not in a braggadocious way, but in a way of certainty that when I'm done teaching you about forgiveness, you probably will never hear it like this any place else except if you go to ALI. Um, but but we're going we're gonna to exhaust this topic of forgiveness because there's so much that's involved in forgiveness. There's so much about the, the word of God that tells us about forgiveness and it's more than just you forgiving. As I said, it will become a lifeline to you. If you take what we're talking and, and, and ministering about concerning forgiveness, you will live a life of freedom in Christ Jesus. There are people that's born again of the water and of the spirit, and they're still bound, as I mentioned earlier, because we don't understand the whole principle and the whole uh, commandment of, of, of forgiveness. So we're going to get into this topic and we're going to slowly go through it. Amen. I'll just teach it, teach it on Thursdays until um, we come to a, a conclusion. But there's so many layers to it that uh, you will always find it interesting because it won't be the same thing over and over. It's just so many layers to it. So we're going to start tonight in our text will be James chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse number eight. And obviously, um, simply, you know, entitle um, this, you know, the series forgiveness. However, you know, you know, we'll say discovering um, forgiveness because some people don't really understand uh, forgiveness. So some of us are just discovering it. And and so it's it's probably not just forgiveness to some of you, but. It's discovering forgiveness because once we get into it, you'll realize, "Ooh, I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't. 
you know, think about it that way. So we'll get into that. Amen. Hallelujah. Online congregation good? They good? All right. Online congregation, I'm checking on you. Make sure you're good. I know we've had some struggles lately, and um, I feel your frustration, but hopefully we'll get on a good um, path where we won't have too many interruptions anymore. Amen. All right. James chapter 2, verse number 8. Make sure you're taking notes. Um, I'll, I'll allow you to ask questions after we're uh, after we've concluded tonight's lesson, and we'll go into it from that standpoint. James chapter two, verse number eight. The word of God says, "If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect." To persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he or she is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that had shown no mercy, And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he had faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warm and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believe and tremble. I'll read that again. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. This is a scripture I tell you, there's only one God. One God. So all the fuss sometimes, sometimes it's just, it's just simple, and we just blow things out of proportion. The Bible says if you believe there's only one God, you do well. So there's one God. So you do well if you know that there's one God. That's cool. But the Bible went on and said the devils also believe. But they know it's one God too. But their knowledge of the one God make them tremble. Your knowledge of the one God does what for you? Question. 
But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? There's a whole lot of stuff going on there. And I'm going to take portions of that text I just read and begin to break it down for you so we don't miss anything that we just read. In verse 8, James identifies what the royal law is. If you don't learn anything tonight, learn what the royal law is. The royal law is the second greatest commandment of all. The royal law is the second greatest commandment of all. The first, of course, is being the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. God is telling us how to love him. And if we love him the way he says we need to love him, nothing is left over to love anything that hard or that much. When Jesus asked or when Jesus was asked to prioritize the 613 commandments of the law of Moses by identifying the first insignificant or significance, this is the one he gave. So I don't know if you remember in Matthew when the the young man came up to Jesus and says, which is the greatest commandment? He knew because he was a student of the law, he knew there was 613 commandments. And so he wanted to know of the 613 commandments, which one is number one? I I, I like to smirk at that because us as people, we have a habit of always trying to figure out the most convenient way to do things. The easiest way to do things. And so this guy looked and says, 613 commandments. Ah, that's just too much. Can't keep up with all that. Just tell me the one that I need to know so I can keep up with that one. And that's when Jesus told him that God is one and we must love that one God with all our heart with all our mind, and with all our might. That's what God told him. But hear this. He didn't stop there. He says the second is like unto it, right? And that's to love your neighbor as yourself. So, if we don't want to worry about the 613 commandments and we don't want to worry about all the other commandments of the book how about we just start practicing those two we can just practice those two love the lord thy god with all our heart all our mind all our soul and strength and love our neighbor who's our neighbor everybody love our neighbor 
as ourself. Mm -hmm. If you look in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you will see that this is repeated. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this is the royal law that James was writing and referring to. The royal law is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's interesting that I will go real deep in our teaching regarding forgiveness. But if we stop right there and work with that and massage that a little bit, love your neighbor as yourself, we'll be doing good as a church, as a world. You know, this is why I smiled when Corona started going rampant and we started to learn about Corona. I smiled when they started saying, well, you know, to be sure that we look out for each other, it's best if we take the vaccination or before even vaccination started, they said it's best that we wear a mask. We can go back and forth about how effective the mask is or the vaccine is. But from the mere fact of us saying that we love one another, we will respect one another. And so when you start to follow the word of God, yesterday, Sunrun. Is it Sunrun, Jordy? Sunrun. You don't remember. Sunrun. It's a guy walking through the neighborhood telling you about putting um, solar panels for free, telling you you already paid for it, so that's why they're saying it for free. And, you know, your light bill will come up to about $50, $75 at most per month if you get them put on your roof. And I'm like, all right, cool. We talked a little bit. But I can't help myself, Brother D. You don't knock on my door and want to talk to me about panels and you don't hear about Jesus. He can't mess with me, man. <laughs> it's just, that's just automatic. So I let him talk, and he talk, and he talk, and he talk, and I'm entertaining this talking because, of course, I'm listening because I want to tell him about Jesus. So I understand that if he's going to listen to me about Jesus, I better listen about Sunrun. And so he's telling me about Sunrun, and I'm asking questions about Sunrun. And I said, you know, is there a website for Sunrun? I can get some more information. And then finally he had to ask me, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, so I had to use the pastor's thing, because I normally don't do it, but I had to use that, because that's my, that was my way in to start talking about Jesus. And so I told him I'm a pastor, like, oh, really? And I went in just talking to him about Jesus, talking to him about, about the love of God and all of that good stuff. And somebody that's real nosy in my house, of course, was eavesdropping. Eavesdropping hard. But I don't mind. See, I don't give my boy my last born eavesdrop. I just try to guide him to be respectful. That's what I'm trying to get him to do is to be respectful. But I don't mind him being inquisitive and want to know a lot of things because that will lead to success when you're inquisitive and you ask a lot of questions. I just need him to be respectful. And so my boy hear me going in on the Sunrun guy. And you know what my boy did? He found a church business card and just slipped it in my hand without saying one word. He didn't say nothing. He didn't say dad nothing. He didn't interrupt me. He found a church business card, slipped it in dad's hand. I said, go ahead, son. 
And so after I got done with Sunrun, I said, listen, I know you need my number because you want to continue talking to me about Sunrun. If you call the church number, you'll get me. We got to love people and care about people. And so when you come from that perspective, certain things that we fuss about and we fight about, it won't make a hill of bean difference. Let me give you an example. And I'm not trying to be political here, but let me give you an example. Here's a good example. Go and check with the scientists and doctors and find out what's the, 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 the percentage of vaccine harming you, killing you, whatever the case may be. And once you get to that point where it's not harming you and killing you and all of that stuff, uh, then it doesn't hurt for you to say, you know what, I'm good with it. Here is why. Because I love my neighbor. Y'all quiet, but it's okay. This is why it was an easy decision for me. Again, everybody's on their own. I'm trying to live for God. And so it was an easy decision for me because I love people. And I would just be destroyed in my heart to know that I could harm someone by being contagious. And so if I'm going to be a Christian, right, and this vaccine is not going to kill me or destroy me in any way, not to mention what I said, because I take away everybody's little thing. But if it kills me, I'm better off with Jesus than I am in this world. So how do I lose? You tell me, you can do whatever you want. Not trying to make this political. I'm just telling you as a Christian, as one that loved God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and trying to love my neighbor as myself, as one that holds that position. If I die because of the vaccine, I get to be with Jesus. I'm not losing out. I'm gaining. But if I get the vaccination and it makes me a little less, not saying 100% because they have already told us, a little less contagious, a little less apt to get this infection, then I'm helping my neighbor. What do I have to lose? Yeah, I can get sophisticated and say, ah, you know, when I give you all of this talk. But you know, when I give all that talk, you know what it says? I'm worried about me. <laughs> so I can give you all the talk about, oh, you know, I don't want to do that because you never know. And Okay, fine. But what am I making it about? Me? Or anything. I'm making it about me because I'm saying I don't want to take it because I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. That's fine. If I leave here, I get to be in the arms of the Lord forever. I don't lose any way you go. I don't know about you. I'm just tell you about me. But the royal law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And if I care about my well-being that I'm supposed to care about your well-being. If I'm loving my neighbor as myself, if I'm all worried about me being healthy, then shouldn't I be worried about you being healthy? If I'm loving my neighbor as myself, there is no way I should just be worried about me being healthy and not worried about anybody else. That's not loving my neighbor as myself. Verse 9 says, but if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. 
The word convince in the Greek means to admonish, to convict, to tell a fault, to rebuke or reprove according to the law to show partiality was to be sinful. So whenever we begin to make ourselves better than anyone else, or we begin to show partiality in how we treat one another, it's a sin. If I start to make myself better than you, or I treat some of you different than I treat others, it is sin. We're not supposed to disparage against anyone. We're not supposed to treat anyone differently from any other one. If we do it, we're sinning. That didn't say that there aren't some people that are more difficult than others. Not excusing that. But you still better figure out a way how to make sure you're loving the difficult ones and the not so difficult ones. You're loving them both the same as you love yourself. It's a tough pill to swallow, huh? It's okay. So we are guilty of sin if we show preferential treatment to people based on their race or social standing or gender. Our world's saying this today, but our Bible teaches that. You see why I don't need to worry about what the world is teaching? They're so far behind in what God says that I don't have to worry about what they're coming up with. By the time they finally catch us up and say, well, we should do this when they finally get something right. Well, we should. We're way past that because the word of God tells us differently always. So we're not supposed to uh, show people preferential treatment based on their social standing, their race or their gender. We're not supposed to do it. Here's why we're not supposed to do it. God made all people and God does not respect one above another. It is unthinkable that people created by God should practice or excuse prejudice. The one who created us, he doesn't show us any preferential treatment. We're not creators. Why would we ever show preferential treatment or prejudice when we didn't give life? Life came from God. And if he's not doing it, why should we? The Greek word translated sin here means to miss the mark. Any show of partiality was a failing or sorry, a falling short of this standard of perfection. So we must treat each other the same, loving your neighbor as yourself. In verse 11 or verse 10 through 11, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. See, I, I learned this a long time ago. Some of you probably never learned it, still not, haven't learned it, trying to catch up. But we have this bad habit 
of saying, well, all I did was told a little lie, but you was cussing. Oh, man, we're so we're so far behind. We allow ourselves to make somebody think they're worse off than us because all I did was tell a little lie. And it wasn't even that far from the truth. It was just a little bending of the lie, a little bending of the truth. So it wasn't far over you. You just started talking loud and started cussing. You're worse. My Bible tells me anytime we break any of God's law, we sin. So whether you cuss or I told a lie, we're both in the same boat. (laughs) So don't convince yourself that the cusser is in a worse boat than you. No, no, you're in the same boat. If you're cussing and they lying, you're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Same boat. Don't change. Don't, don't make them any different than you. So he says, for he that said, who is God, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. So he's saying, I'm telling you don't commit adultery, but you also can't kill either. You're not going to be killing, talking about, well, God, I didn't commit adultery, but I had to kill him. And God is going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you're not, you're okay. That wasn't that bad. It's not the way it works. Now, if you commit no adultery, but you kill, the Bible says you are, you have become a transgressor of the law. James says that failure in one commandment was failure verse 12 so speak ye and so do love this part as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty I like this phrase so speak ye And so do that phrase tells us that our words and actions must agree. (laughs) Our words and our actions must agree. You can't escape God's, you know, commandments. You can't sidestep God's commandment. You can't do something other than what God tell you to do and think that you can get God to buy into what you did and say, well, God, look at what I did. No, he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. So there's no way you can do half-hearted stuff and think God says, well, you did do it. No, God says your word and your action must agree. We can't just say the words of forgiveness and not follow up with the actions of forgiveness. So many people over the years, because they have the title Christian and they realize that they've done something bad or wrong to someone, they go up to them after weeks, probably in months of pondering and probably somehow heard the preacher said something about it. They finally go up, Brother D, and says, well, I'm sorry. I free, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. And we say it like that. You know, uh, will you forgive me, please? I'm sorry. And D, they just went and did it because they heard it over the pulpit. But there, it's not in their heart. And unfortunately, 
I don't know what's in your heart. The person don't know what's in your heart. But the one who says don't commit adultery and don't kill, he knows what's in your heart. So if you're going to go say you're going to ask for forgiveness or you're going to go to, you know, to, 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 to make it right with somebody, you can't go half-heartedly. Because what you're doing is you're doing something godly. It's not something natural. It's not something fleshly. It's something godly that you're going to do. And so God wants you to do it in the way he expects and commands that you do it. So to go to someone and say, I'm sorry, or go to someone and say, please forgive me, but in your heart you don't mean it, but on the surface you said it just so you can seem like you're right because you heard it from the pulpit and you're saying, well, I got to make sure I do it right. God is saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Your actions and your words must agree. We can't just say the words of forgiveness and not follow up with the actions of forgiveness. Verse 13, for he shall have judgment without mercy. That had shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Verse 13, to find the law of liberty. That was in, introduced in the last verse as the principle by which judgment is tempered with mercy. What does that mean? No stronger warning can be given to us. You show no mercy, you get no mercy when you are judged. You show no mercy, you get no mercy when it's time for you to be judged by the Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I need God to have some mercy when he's judging me. Because I can say for sure, I haven't lived no perfect life before the Lord, where I can say, go ahead, Lord, judge me, because I know I'm good. I don't need no mercy. I know I follow the law to the T. So go ahead and judge me, Lord. I'm good. I know I didn't do that. I know I didn't live my life like that. So I know when I go before the Lord, I need a whole lot of mercy. But I cut off my legs and I cut off my hands. If I don't show mercy to others, when I go and stand before the Lord, I'm in a whole lot of trouble because I will not receive any mercy from God if I was not showing mercy to my brothers and sisters and even people that are outside of Christ. So you can't receive mercy if you don't give mercy. Woo. The warning is not so much one of coming judgment, but more of an appeal to those who show no mercy and still expects for mercy to be tempered in their judgment. We're just crazy folks sometimes. We don't, we always want what we're not giving out. We always want favor, but we don't want to show no favor. We always want the, the, the Lord to be merciful to us, but we don't want to be merciful to nobody else. I don't know how we expect that, how, how we expect things that we're not giving out. Church, we cannot expect to receive things that we're not giving out. Here's the Holy Ghost. When you expect things 
that you're not giving out, you're going to sin. Because what's going to happen is you're going to try to force what you want. Because it's not something that you should have because it's not something that you gave out. So you have to reap what you sow. And if you didn't sow anything, you ain't supposed to reap something. And when you didn't sow it and you're not getting it, you know what you do? You start doing ungodly stuff. You start crooking and hooking to do what you got to do to get what you desire. But you didn't deserve it because you never gave it out. And so there are people that are making a mess of themselves because they are trying to obtain something they should not have. Because they never gave it out. They didn't plan it. So they wasn't able to reap from it because they never planted it. And so now you go about your life trying your best to reap something that you never sowed. And the only thing that can happen in that situation is you're going to sin and do wrong. When you're trying to reap where you didn't sow. When you're trying to reap something that you didn't sow. We have to be careful of that. Another point to make from this verse that relates to our study of forgiveness is from the phrase, mercy rejoiceth against judgment. In the, NJ, in, the, in the New King James Version, it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. The Message Bible says, kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. The Amplified says it like this, mercy, full of glad confidence, exalt victorious over judgment. The bottom line is, you're better off showing mercy than quick to bring judgment. (laughs) We're going to get into judgment so deep because some of us are judgmental. And when you're judgmental, it takes you down a rabbit hole that you would not believe. We'll talk about that. That's later down the line. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. The point here seems to be that mercy is superior to judgment. It will accomplish what judgment alone never could. Specifically, it it tends to set people free rather than bind them. So judgment binds people. Judgment controls people. Man, I can feel this in the Holy Ghost. The reason why people aren't forgiven is because you want to control. It's it's because you want to stop people from being free. And so what we try to do is we try to control people. We, we, We try to stop them from being free and being who they are. And sometimes it's because you have hurt. You've experienced hurt. So you want to make sure somebody else feels hurt because you have experienced hurt. And so whatever we got to do, we become judgmental and we come harsh against people and begin to judge them harshly. Why? Because that's our way to make them feel hurt like we felt hurt. That's our way to control them by making them feel what we have experienced. But church, we can't make anybody feel what we have felt we can't make anybody feel what we have felt and so the bottom line is it's no sense of you being judgmental your words 
make you judgmental. How you say things to people make you judgmental. Don't say, oh, I'm not judging people. No, the words you said make them make you judgmental. So however you, you begin to talk to people, however you begin to speak to people, that will determine if you are judgmental or not. Or you're merciful. I know that we've experienced hurt. I know people have been unkind to us. I know that we feel like life has has dealt us a bad hand in some instance. But that doesn't mean you got to go control somebody's life. That doesn't mean you're going to be judgmental against somebody. That doesn't mean you're going to make somebody else hurt, try to make them feel what you felt. It doesn't mean that. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. When you show mercy, you make somebody free. And guess what? You're going to reap what you sow. So whatever that have you bound, whatever have you under control, whatever is taking the breath out of you, if you will show mercy, you will receive mercy. And you will be free if you will free somebody else. You're going to be free if you free somebody else. But as long as you keep holding on, as long as you keep saying uh, they are this and they are that, and they will never be this and never be that, as long as you keep being judgmental, you are holding yourself hostage as well. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Stop being judgmental because you only bind yourself up. Stop being judgmental. You hold yourself in captivity. Because if you are going to be judgmental against someone else, guess what? You will be held hostage by your own judgment. Woo, Holy Ghost. Ready for this one? What happened, Brother Sharp, when God finally, not Well, God is working in the background. But when Pharaoh finally let the children of Israel go, what had happened? The judgment that he pronounced on Israel, the judgment that Pharaoh pronounced on Israel, he said the firstborn of every Israeli man child, the firstborn of every Israeli man child will die tonight. That's what he said. That was judgment. Guess what happened? Didn't happen. The firstborn of every Egyptian man child. So when you begin to pronounce judgment on anybody, when you begin to pronounce judgment on anybody, you better be careful because that judgment you pronounce, that judgment you declare on somebody else is going to turn around and come back and destroy you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It doesn't hurt to be merciful. Just be merciful and don't judge. I know that you got hurt. I know that somebody did you wrong. I know that the situation you did, you had nothing to do with it. But yet and still you felt pain. Yet and still you were mistreated. That doesn't mean you're supposed to judge somebody over it. It's only locking you up by holding on and saying how badly they treated you. How badly it hurt. It's only locking you up in jail. Show mercy. Show mercy. Specifically, 
it tends, mercy tends to set people free rather than bind them. That is what forgiveness does. It sets people free from the offense or the transgression. When you forgive someone, you set them free. What does it profit, my brethren? This is verse 14. Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warned, be ye warm and fill, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? You can't tell somebody when they tell you I'm hungry and I'm cold. You can't tell them, God be with you. Just go. You're going to be fine. You didn't give them the coat that they need and you didn't give them the food that they need. So guess what? What is that all about? <laughs> Even so, faith. If it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Listen to this. This is going to mess with you a little bit. The action of forgiveness is a result of faith. <laughs> Let me just take a take a little fix my rag here. Uh huh. Again. The action of forgiveness is a result of faith. Most of us that are not forgiven people are lacking faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we, we like to have... You know, all these talk, you know, we like to, yeah, you know, when we talk big and like to say, you know, oh, but, you know, God this and God that. Man, it's time that we start digging in the word and stop going surface on the word. We, we stay too much on the surface of the word of God and we're not digging in to learn things that we can stop saying ignorant stuff. We say a lot of ignorant stuff because we're not digging in the word of God. If you don't forgive somebody, you're lacking faith. Let me go on and say some more about that. To say we have faith and not forgive certainly put our faith in question. And the Bible says, without faith, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm telling you, uh, church, when you study Jesus, all you can do is shake your head. His stuff is so tight. You can't, there is no wiggle room. You can't like circumvent, you can't like kind of, you know, you know, do a little something here, a little something here, thinking that, okay, this works. This dude's stuff is so tight that he got you coming and going in every direction. You can't escape what God says. 
It doesn't even make sense to play games with him. You're playing games with yourself. Because he's not missing anything. He's got everything under control. He missed nothing. So saying that we have faith, but we can't forgive somebody, we need to question our faith. And if our faith is in question, then we need to question our relationship with God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. If I can't please him, I don't have a relationship with him. All right. Let me finish up here. Give me a bite portions tonight. Well, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Simon Wiesenthal lost 89 relatives in Hitler's death camp. As a result of his experiences, he devoted his life to finding Nazi war criminals and bringing them to justice. He was still pursuing this mission when he died at the age of 96 on September 20th, 2005. He was often asked when he would give up the mission. After all, he was hunting down men in their 70s, 80s, and 90s for crimes committed a half of a century ago. Wiesenthal answered these questions by writing a book. The book is called Justice, Not Vengeance. Justice, Not Vengeance. The book begins with a true experience he had while he himself was a concentration camp prisoner. One day, he was yanked out of a work detail and taken up a back stairway to a dark hospital room. A nurse led him into the room, then left him alone with a figure wrapped in white lying on a bed. The figure was a badly wounded German soldier whose entire face was covered with bandages. His name was Carl. Every German name is Carl. You ever notice in every culture there's a popular name? <laughs> so Carl is a popular German name. With a trembling voice, the German soldier made a kind of confession to Wiesenthal. He told how he had been brought up in a Nazi family, the fighting he had experienced on the Russian front, and the brutal measures his SS unit had taken against the Jews. He's express, expressing these things. And then he told of a terrible atrocity that he was a party to. All the Jews in a town were herded into a wooden building that was then set on fire. Church, Let's be godly. Let's follow the word of God the way it's written. 
how do I say this and not be controversial? A lot of people, a lot of cultures, a lot of groups have suffered really bad things. It's not just one group that suffered bad things. It's not one group that suffered bad things. Please, church, let's, let's, let's not let our emotions get the best of us. There's a lot of groups of people over the years that have suffered bad things. Right now, Christians in the Middle East in certain places, if they utter the word Jesus, if they know you practice Christianity, they will kill you. And it doesn't matter what your race is. It just means you are you belong to the family of God. We know how when the Jews gathered in Egypt, when the famine had taken place and they were made slaves. We know how this whole thing started here. With the Nazis just killing all the Jews. We know how African Americans were taken to slave. We can go and search high and low. All groups of people in so many instances have been treated terribly. Let's not make it about one race. Let's make it about the entire human race. We can't make it about one group of people because then we become partial. The Bible already told us that we can't show anybody any preferential treatment. We're supposed to treat everybody the same. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. I can stand up for righteousness sake, but I have to let people know it doesn't matter which group of people it is that's being treated unfairly. I'm going to stand up for every group that gets treated unfairly. The Bible says blessed are peacemakers. If we're children of God, we're supposed to be peacemakers, which means we're supposed to stand up for every individual or every group of people that's being mistreated. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter where they were born. It doesn't matter what their race or their culture is. If they're being mistreated, we need to stand up for them because blessed are the peacemakers. got to be careful calling ourselves Christian and not following the book as we supposed to follow the book. I try to be as transparent as I can with everyone. And I told you this before, and I'll tell it to you tonight like this again. When you are connected to a certain group, a culture group, when they're mistreated emotionally, it really take a toll on you because you feel like that could be me because it, the people that are being mistreated you have a whole lot of familiarity with them I get that but you still can't let that make you become so emotional that now you now start to want to show preferential treatment over here or now you want to start saying oh you know you know we stand for this you cannot be partial No matter how much it messes with your emotion, 
you can't do it if you're going to be a Christian. Our faith in Jesus Christ is higher than any emotion that we can feel. You know how many times I have emotion that feels something that's not godly? Does that ever happen to you? Will you get emotion that's not godly? Do you act on those? Let me continue to read my story. All the Jews in a town were herded into a wooden building that was then set on fire. Carl had taken an active part in the crime. Several times, Wiesenthal tried to leave the room, but each time the ghost-like figure would reach out and beg him to stay. Carl would beg him to stay. Don't leave, don't leave. Finally, after two hours of unburdening his soul, Carl told Wiesenthal why he had been summoned to his room. The soldier had asked a nurse if any Jews still existed. If so, he wanted one brought to his room so he could clear his conscience. He, he then said to Wiesenthal, I am left here with my guilt. I do not know who you are. I know only that you are a Jew, and that is enough. I know that what I am asking is almost too much for you. But without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Carl asked for forgiveness for all the Jews he had killed. He asked for forgiveness from a man who might soon die himself. Wiesenthal sat in silence for some time. He stared at the man's bandaged face. At last, without saying a word, he stood up and left the room. He left the soldier in torment, unforgiven. I wonder, had Simon Wiesenthal done the best he could? He himself seemed dissatisfied with his action later on in life. He went over it with his companions. He, he even visited the dead soldier's mother. He never forgave him, but he felt really bad about not, doing, not forgiving him. In his book, he asked 32 rabbis, Christian theologians, and secular philosophers to comment on what he should have done. Out of 32 people that he asked, 26 said he had done the right thing in leaving the soldier lying there unforgiven. I said, rabbis. I said, Christian theologians. I said, secular philosophers. 26 out of the 30 says, yeah, man, I would have left him right there. Joker, all of that stuff they did to our people. Let him die and let him just be tormented. Yeah, you did right. You did right, Simon. I would have left him right there too. Only six told him he should have forgiven that man. Only six. Yet the Bible says 
We have the privilege and the obligation of granting forgiveness to those who have wronged us. I'm here to tell you tonight, church, if somebody have wronged you, if a group of people have wronged you, you have the privilege and you have the right, the obligation to grant them forgiveness. Because if you don't grant them forgiveness, your future is bleak. Dr. David Siemens, in his book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, says, the two primary causes of emotional stress are, one, failure to forgive, and two, the failure to receive forgiveness. So a lot of people are experiencing emotional sickness that eventually become physical sickness because they fail to forgive somebody or they fail to receive forgiveness. Unforgiveness turns to bitterness, which produces hatred, depression, and disease. Forgiveness is really such a basic Christian principle. It's a principle that we have heard about before, but I have found that there are some things we need to hear over and over again. Repetition is good when it's something good. I believe, listen to me, I'm closing. This is my closing statement here. I believe that forgiveness is the greatest evangelistic method that is available to the church today. <laughs> this is why I'm so passionate about it. There are all kinds of evangelistic tools and programs out there, and most are good. But it is forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness, that will produce the greatest results in evangelism. True biblical forgiveness is showing the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. True biblical forgiveness points to the great act of forgiveness at Calvary. We got to get on board with forgiveness. And remember what I says, your action and your word must agree. Don't go fronting, talking about you forgave somebody because you said it out of your mouth. Your actions and your words must agree. You're not fooling. You might be fooling man, but you ain't fooling God. Next week, we're going to talk about, and this is going to be a little extensive, we're going to talk about alternatives to forgiveness. What do you mean by that, preacher? What people do instead of forgiving. And we run with it and think that it was sufficient. We're going to talk about that next week.
We're going to talk about the things that people have done and continue to do to try to get around forgiveness and don't realize you can't get around forgiveness. You either forgive or you don't forgive. But you can't do something else that makes up for forgiveness. Brother Kellerman. Oh, <laughs> yes, week after. <laughs> week after next Thursday. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving. <laughs> next Thursday is Thanksgiving. So not this Thursday coming up. N- not next Thursday coming up, but the Thursday after that, we will talk about the alternatives, the things that people try to work in and says, well, I did this. You know, well, I did that, you know, and there is no alternative to forgiveness. But we come up with alternatives to forgiveness. And so I ask you tonight, is there any questions that you have so far? If it's a question that will get into my lesson ahead, then I'll tell you. Just hang on. We're going to get to it. But if it's something that we can answer now because we can cover it now, we will. Yes, sir. You forgive me. I never heard that one. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, okay. I forgive you, but I don't forget. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to deal with that because that still um, is in question whether or not that's forgiveness or not. We're going to deal with that. That comes up later on down the line. Um, but <laughs> we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about that some. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about when someone sinned against you, what week after, <laughs> when, 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 when you sin against someone, what you have done is you have upset the balance that God has set in order in the universe. <laughs> That's how far we go. We, we go in some places that when you do something to to uh, that when you, you know, do something to someone. When you offend someone, you upset the balance and the balance must be restored. And so if I got in the back of my mind. You know, that you did this to me. I don't know how the balance get restored that way. So, yeah, that that's something that we used to talk about back in the day. Yeah, I forgive you, but I won't forget. Say again. Yes. That's correct. So it's it, it that's correct. It, it's not until and that's why and that's why so many of us are in a position that we're still hanging because we we convinced ourselves that we did something that God said we needed to do when in actuality we really didn't do it. And so we're waiting for the blessing to come and it's not coming. And so that keeps us in a hanging position. This is what I mean tonight when I said there are some of us that are bound. And we don't realize that we're bound because we thought that we did what was required of us by God to make something right. But we never made it right. And so we're hanging. And we clearly know at this point in our heart, I never got, I never got that thing straight. I never, I never rectified that thing. I didn't, I didn't forgive like I needed to forgive. And so because you didn't do that, 
you realize that there is something. And, and it's not God's will that we live in a condition that we should not live in. Meaning something is just not right. You know what it is, but you have just kind of just decided, well, it's just the way it is and you keep living. That's not how God intended. That's why the scripture says he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And anytime we live beneath abundant life, it means there are things going on in our life that we won't make right. We keep letting it stay there and linger and hang. And we're living beneath our privileges as Christians. Because we won't do what we're supposed to do. Yes, sir. says you treat them like a publican a publican and a sinner and a sinner so here's the story that's part of the lesson but i'm going to tell you this just to give you a little inside peek on this how should we treat publicans and sinners how should we treat the bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost the bible says it's not the will of god that any man should perish but that all should be saved so jesus died for sinners didn't he so how should we treat sinners and publicans? And then we got churches going around telling people they excommunicated. You can't come back to the church because we brought you before the church and you were disobedient. Uh, we got some doctrine, man. That's not legit. It's not like Jesus. We come up with our stuff, but that's not like Jesus. We'll deal with that. That's coming down the line. <laughs> Brother Tom. Pastor, a moment ago you um, said that uh, we should not offend others. Uh, a week ago you preached that we should not feel offended. Can you uh, explain that concept? We're going to get into that. Let me see. <laughs> probably we got, probably our third lesson. Our third lesson, our third part, we will get into that. Um, now, there's two things. There's two things to that. There's some offense that God bring into our life. God allow it to come because it does something for us. It gives us an opportunity. There is some offense that God allow to come our way because it gives us an opportunity. I'm going to leave it like that. But for the most part, most of your life, you only become offended because you wanted to be offended. And we'll talk about that. Brother Sharp. Yes, Pastor. On the lesson we tonight that... Uh teaching about uh, verse 13 it says for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy mm -hmm. it ends mercy triumphs over judgment mm -hmm. I just want to interject on this one some years ago my son David and myself Michael had gone to pick up David from school so he went late mm -hmm. 
and they were coming back to the car and Sister Carpad was to go to work. So David was speeding. Mm-hmm. The cop pulled him over and gave him a speeding ticket. Mm-hmm. Now over in Pennsylvania, it's over 11 miles over the speed limit. He goes points on the license and the fine doubles it. Mm-hmm. So David has a court date to go to court and he said, Dad, what am I going to do? I said, listen, we're going to pray about it. And what you want to do is tell the judge you're guilty, but you want to make an explanation. Mm-hmm. And the judge say, okay, that's fine, young man. What is it? And he explains I'm in college and I was guilty. I was rushing. I was speeding. The judge turned to him and say, what are you here for, justice or mercy? Mm-hmm. I told David the morning, I said, tell the judge as it is, you're here for mercy. Mm-hmm. And he said, what? And pastor, just like that, he reduced the fine. Mm-hmm. He said, because you're a young man and you plea mm-hmm. for mercy, no points on your license. He reduced the, uh, the fine, fine all the way down to minimum. Mm-hmm. And he said, have you got the money to pay? And he said, no, sir, I'm in college. And he said, okay, I'll make a payment plan for you. Mm-hmm. That was it. We couldn't ask for anything less than that. Mm-hmm. Better, anything better. So, you know, God was on his side and yeah. God, when David, the mo- David said the moment he opened his mouth and said to the judge, I'm here for mercy, he said, what? You know, you know what's interesting about mercy? And you, you know this. When you go through the tabernacle and you get to what we call the holies of holies, the most sacred place in the tabernacle you know what's inside of there the ark of the covenant but there's a mercy seat there and if we don't get this thing right and understand mercy got to lead this thing because you're going to need mercy we're going to need mercy and if when someone hurts us or offend us the first thing that comes to our mind is judgment words of judgment that comes out of our mouth we better stop and repent and we better go to that person and we better go and ask for forgiveness and say, I was judgmental and that was wrong of me. Please forgive me. Because we're going to need mercy. We need to show people more mercy. Let, let, let God do the judging. You show mercy. Let the word of God does the ju- do the judging. You show mercy. Not for us to do the judging. Imperfect people can't judge. Even the judge that sits on the bench, he don't give his own stuff. He can show mercy, but the word, the law is still the law. He can't break the law. He is, he is accountable to the law. So what he can do is look where he can show mercy in the law, but he can't change the law. So the word of God, in the beginning was the word, the word is with God, and the word is, was God. So God, him and his word synonymous, he is the one And the only one that can judge. We're not qualified to judge. Can we back up and say, what does the word say? Yes, we can. Right? So I'm I'm not saying you can't say, what does the word say? We can point out what the word say because the word does the judging. So we can point that out. But our position should always be, well, the word says this. But my brother, I love you. I'm going to be merciful toward you. But the word says this. So God will do what God's going to do or not do 
But our responsibility is to show mercy to each other. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't lean to judgment. Lean on the side of mercy. Any other questions? All right, let's stand. Well, I know these are tough teachings, but you're learning something, right? That's what's important. I want you to learn stuff. I want you to be sharp. I want you to be a great Christian. I want you to be a Christian that thrives, not a Christian that's just lost and, you know, going with the cliche. I don't want to be a cliche Christian. You know what that means? Just repeat these cliche words and don't understand the depth of what you're saying. You just stay on the surface and just keep on saying all the stuff on the surface and not realize stuff goes so much deeper than what we're saying. We need to study to show ourselves approved. If we're going to be the Christians that God called us to be, we ought to study our word, get into the word, live out the word of God so we can be victorious in who we are as Christians. Let's not stay on the surface. God gave us his word to say, here is the first layer, but start to peel back some layers and see how deep it goes and what God is trying to instruct us to do how to live, we need to really get down into the word of God and not just stay on the surface. When you stay on the surface, you get offended easy. You stay on the surface, you get offended easy. For instance, for instance, if I talk about holiness lifestyle and how we're supposed to dress and be holy, so many people get offended with that. And when you get offended with that, all I can say is you're kind of under surface. That's why you're getting offended by that because you're living on the surface. But if you get deep and understand when the Bible says you've been bought with a price, that you've been bought with not things that are corruptible, but with the precious blood. When you start getting deep and realize that I'm no longer my own, that I've been bought with the blood, that I'm no longer of my own self, but I belong to Jesus, then you realize I'm supposed to be living to please him, not myself. And guess what? You know what's so good about that? I realized that before I knew Jesus, I was living to please myself. Where did that get me? We got to give some wisdom sometimes that before you met Jesus and turned your life over to him, you were living to please yourself. Where did that get you? So why would I want to now start living for God and trying to live for myself? What sense does that make? So we, we, we get all worked up when we stay on the surface with the word of God. And we start saying, well, well preacher, well, you know, what about this? And why that? And, and because you're on the surface. You're just skimming the top. But if you would dig deep, there's a lot of whys that you won't even bother asking me about. Because you will know because you got deep down in the word and understand it's much deeper than what the surface is already saying. We got to get there, church. We got to get there and we got to get there quick because the devil knows that we're going somewhere and he's going to try to stop you in every way that he can. And so if you don't have the word in your soul, if you don't, if you're not anchored in the word of God, he is going to attack you. And if you're not where you need to be, uh, you can be moved out of your place. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight for your word for meeting us here tonight and allowing us, Lord God, to delve into the word of God, 
to study and to learn and, oh God, to become doers of the word of God. Father, I feel encouraged tonight. I feel empowered tonight, Lord God, because your word has enriched us. Your word has equipped us and strengthened us, Lord. We look forward, Lord God, to living the way you've called us to live. We look forward, Lord God, to continue to get into the word of God and not just stay on the surface of the word of God. I pray tonight, Lord God, that every person under the sound of my voice will take heed to the word of God and will be Become a doer of the word of God and will truly live out the word of God. Apply the word of God. For Lord, I don't want any person in our congregation to live a life that is bound up, Lord God. I don't want any person, Lord God, to not be free in Christ Jesus. For you said, who the Son is set free is truly free indeed. And I want this church, Lord God, individually and collectively to be free. <laughs> That we will be free, Lord God. That we will be liberated, Lord God. That nothing will have us bound. That nothing will take control over us. Because, Lord, we will know the word. We will live out the word. We will obey the word. For you, oh God, to have your way in our life, Lord God. Continue to reveal the mysteries of the scriptures. Continue to reveal, oh God, the word that we may see it. And do it, Lord God. Lord, we want to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Help us tonight to leave this place encouraged, to leave this place fortified. Oh God, to leave this place endeavoring, oh God, to obey the word of God. Bless this church. Strengthen us and keep us, Lord God. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. But there is none like you. There is none like you. There is none like you. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise and thank him today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's clap our hands unto the Lord and thank him tonight. Amen. Don't forget. Give unto the building fund. Give an offering tonight. God bless you as you're leaving out. Brother Henry has the basket in the back. Give. You can give electronically still. Bless the house of God. Let God's will be done. Have a great rest of your night.